This week's episode is being sponsored by Little Lights on the Lane. Little Lights on the Lane is a wedding and event venue surrounded by the Cedars Edge Golf Course, 15 minutes from Iowa City in West Branch, Iowa. This business is women-owned, and they focus on creating intentional spaces and exceptional experiences. They understand the importance of slowing down and being present in the moments that fill us with light and love. Betsy and I are excited to be part of one of their upcoming events, a women's wellness retreat on May 6th from 9 to 4 p.m., where we will share the message of self-compassion with attendees. In life, we all need space and time to recharge the inner light that is in us. Spend the day learning, nourishing, and relaxing, surrounded by a community of women. Whether you're a young professional in search of your new self, a mother finding time for everyone but yourself, an empty nester navigating through this new phase of life, or someone in between, this event is for you. The day will be filled with yoga, mindfulness, self-care, and a panel of amazing women with passion for women's health and wellness. Come join us for a day that is all yours. Who were you before you lost your wild self? That's what we're helping you explore on the Tend Her Wild podcast. Through questions and tools around how best to listen to your inner voice, rewild ourselves, and live the most authentic life where we thrive instead of survive. I'm Betsy. And I'm Kate. And we're so glad you've joined us for this episode. Hello, Tender Wild listeners. Today we are thrilled to have one of my favorite people, Angie Jordan, as our guest. Angie was born in Iowa City. She grew up in the Rio Grande Valley of Texas and went to college in Massachusetts. And she returned back to her hometown for good in Iowa City in 2008. She is the inaugural executive director of the South of Six Iowa City Business District. She played a pivotal role in establishing this vehicle for economic development through efforts spearheaded by the South District Neighborhood Association, an organization she co-created and is the current president of, to build traditions that bring people together. Angie co-created the South District Market. She served as a tri-chair with me in Better Together 2030. She has a mindfulness and patience practice through her small business, Banjo Knits Empowerment, where she uses her Guild Association Master Knitting Certification, wow, mm. <laughs> and the Circles Practice to guide more people into kindness and patience for themselves and others. She's a strategic doing practitioner and a former adjunct leadership instructor at the University of Iowa. But Angie is also an enthusiastic team builder, community mm. organizer with a background in social work, specifically youth and family empowerment. She believes in the power of connection, and she lives it, I will add, and that everyone should be allowed to dream big and be part of creating a shared future. She graduated from Williams College, double majoring in cultural anthropology and cognitive psychology, and is slowly working on her master's in community development from Iowa State. She's the mother of two wonderful uh, elementary-age kiddos. Her life partner also serves Iowa City as a firefighter. And they both have a lot of extended family in the Iowa City area. Angie enjoys knitting, gardening, kayaking, which we have done together. I don't know how successful it was. <laughs> and hanging out with friends and family in her backyard around a fire, playing board games. So Angie, thank you so much for joining us. We're so excited to have you. I'm so glad to be here with you all today. Oh, and what a bio. Oh, you're so well-rounded and multifaceted. and Didn't start out that way. <laughs> but I have to say even more than your bio, um, just even the moment you walked in the door, just your presence and your, uh, you know, I felt this like beautiful blend of steadfastness, but this openness and this curiosity. And then we're like, how are you? And you're like, it's Friday and this positivity. <laughs> so I'm really excited to have this conversation. Yeah, Thanks for having me in your space too. It's It's easy to feel that. To be, you can be yourself when you feel comfortable. So I'm glad to be with both of you. Good, good. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know how we always lead this off. Yeah. We always ask about the first decade of your life because we see it as such a key shaping period that does seem to follow us for the rest of our lives. And so we'd love to hear a little more about being born in Iowa City and then essentially it sounds like raised in Texas. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I, I love that you guys start with the first 10 years because I do carry my four-year-old self around with me mm-hmm. and that's included in the first 10 years. So um, yeah, born in Iowa City, Super Bowl Sunday, January 1986, uh, snowy day. Big energy. Big energy. <laughs> Here we go. Um, my sister is about 15 months older than me, so I was coming in a second born. Um, I think my mother at that time, she uh, was an entrepreneur. She would be uh, taking care of indoor landscaping. So she had a lot of horticultural background. So when I just think of myself in utero, I, this is the story I play in my head, but mom's on the go when I was incubating. So <laughs> I think some of that transferred over into just my being in general. Um, and my father at the time when he retired, but um, worked for the state and vocational rehabilitation services. So that empowerment piece of um, recognizing folks' skills, even though other people maybe don't see them, mm-hmm. and then helping to reshape their future so that it's a sustainable one that they're passionate in. You know, that's the that's who I was born into. Energy you came yeah. into. Yeah. It's so it was, yeah, and you know, when I was two years old, um, they separated. Um, and when I was four, they divorced, and I have no memory of them really being together, which that's my norm. Yeah. I later in life would find out how fortunate I was to have parents who could co-parent so well um, apart um, that, you know, later in life, I'm like, well, you had both parents. What was that like? Oh, that seems really hard. Uh, um, but I think a huge change and shift in my life and some of that energy was when we moved to the Rio Grande Valley in southern Texas. Um, both your mom and your dad moved no, together? just me, my sister, my mom. Okay. okay. So when Girls. mom had the two of us kids, she just over time, as I understand it, um, just her career path, she wasn't being the mom she wanted to be. So she went back to school to get her master's in education to become a teacher. And so when I was a little bitty, you know, mom was working on papers. She was taking naps. She was working part time, still doing the plant business, but a lot of school and education in her life. And so when she got her job, it was in Southern Texas. Um, and we moved down there when I was eight. Um, and I'm one of those people, I think, at a very young age where you just just love really hard. So mm. some of those ties to this area, even at eight, like that was hardcore to hard sever. To yeah. yeah. So a lot of, um, I think, new, exciting energy to explore a part of the country we'd never been in. Girl power, a lot of girl power growing up. The three know. of you going out there. Oh, yeah. I mean, that if we weren't already going to be in this life together, we, from then on we were. And... We're moving significantly closer to my abuelita who lived at the time in Mexico. Mm. So a lot of like generational, cultural. And would that be uh, your mom's mom's mother? Mm -hmm. And she would later move up to uh, where we were at in Texas. And just this force of women. Um, And I think there was this, you know, sever of who I was origin wise when I left Iowa. So having the energy of excitement and adventure. And that to me is my mom. She's still like that today. Uh, but also, you know, missing Iowa city. Yeah. And I, your dad stayed. And your dad, in dad Iowa. stayed. He remarried. I got, I got another mom. I, I got a, a stepmother and a stepsister, which I am huge with family. I don't care if you're related by blood or not. I think it's uh, definitely a gift to have. Um, and so dad would come down and visit us a few times a year. And then we'd spend a chunk of the summer. Up in Iowa Back City. Back in Iowa. Yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of traveling at a young age, mm-hmm. which I think you learn a lot of skills. Yeah. Yeah. Um, at a young age. Again, the bonding with my sister when you travel with somebody, you uh-huh. kind of create a whole new. So she and I were continue to be very close. Um, but traveling and being in transit, using the bus system, trains, automobiles at the age of nine and 10, um, sometimes on our own. Uh, a lot of. Um, being empowered because there was no other option. Yeah. You so, had to, yeah. Yeah. You had to kind of step into that role of being able to. Yeah. To just do. And I don't recall ever feeling like things were put in front of us that we couldn't do. Yeah. The, at least psychologically, um, this needs to get done. This is what you do. Y'all got it. Yeah. From the get go. Uh, so that I think is part of why I truly believe anything can be done, yeah. even if it's not the way you thought it was going to. It will get done. Even if plans change, things yeah. work out. Yeah, and if, and if it's not the way you thought it was going to be, that's actually better. 
Oh, and um, I I see that yeah. show up for you yes. in the way you do your work. Yeah. So that, and again, my sister continues to be, uh, you know, big part of my life, but that I wasn't alone. Um, and I think something that's important to note those first 10 years, whether it was in Iowa City or down in the Rio Grande, just visually, she and I, no, we didn't look like anybody else. Mm. Um, there, what is your ethnic? Yeah. Can you yeah. tell us about your... So I identify background. as mixed. Um, I, I stay vague in general because I think that's who I am. Um, but if you wanted to get into like genetics, uh, a quarter Mexican with a lot of like Spanish and Italian coming from there, um, but also big chunks of Irish and like Scottish mm-hmm. in there as well. Um, of course, there's some African-American in there from my dad's side, but his family was mixed too with a lot of German. And then there's some Japanese and Indonesian mixed oh, wow. in there from a few generations ago too. So um, when people would ask, like, what are you or what is your lineage? I'm like, hi, I'm Angie. It's probably just easier to start there. Yeah. Um, and that, again, that identity thing. I, I feel really curious about yeah. that because I I love how you have embraced all these different, you know, like, you know, the background, but yet you are like, I'm Angie. So I just want to know about that process because it feels also so modern, mm. um, but yet it's honoring the lineage. Yeah. I, I think when, again, moving and coming out of your roots means for me, it meant to reestablish your roots. And at a young age, witnessing my mother and my sister doing the same thing at the same time, gave me permission to be whoever I wanted to be, mm. quite frankly. And those other two women and my abuela, who that's a whole another uh, story and show. <laughs> did, show. That like Actually, I want to know about yeah, that. Right. <laughs> I was just, just nobody's going to tell you who you are. That was our norm. And so what that meant is you needed to figure it out. Define yourself. Yeah, define yourself. And it wasn't until um, I went to school out east that I then had to learn how to uh, explain it to other people in a way that wasn't necessarily what I thought they wanted to hear, but it was my authentic self. Mm -hmm. So dropping some of the accommodating nature, the things that I think will help or make people feel comfortable, and more so being um, you don't know what you see, so you don't know what you get. Let me tell you. Mm. <laughs> Beautiful. Okay, we do have to talk about Abuelo. I know. So can, you can down just there. The sto- when you said the story, I was like, ooh, that's yeah. curious. Yeah. What was it like to come? Because did you see your grandmother much in your first eight years? Oh, yeah. So You're already close to her. Yes. Okay. So, so again, I think when my parents, uh, again, this is my memory, my story, I tell myself. But when my parents split up, I feel like we saw Abuelita a lot more. Um, that she would come up from Mexico, you know, for a week or so and then over the course of time, maybe it'd be two weeks, maybe it'd be a month, maybe it'd be two months. And you always knew when she was there because you'd walk into the uh, the outer part of the apartment where the hallway was and you could just smell her enchiladas or like, like <laughs> yeah, you knew she was there. Um, and I think too, she was just one of those people for me anyway, that uh, we just had a lot in common. Um, she taught me how to play poker and you know, my mom would be like, <laughs> Like, hey, you can't have a seven-year-old stay up till midnight playing penny poker. You know, like, why not? Like, I'm beating her. So, and she's beating me. So we have to stay up until we finish, you know. Um, So she had this very, like, um, she treated me not like a child. Um, Mm. And I wouldn't say a friend either because she taught me a lot of etiquette. You know, Mm. how to sit, what spoon to eat, what people will think of you if, you know, some of that stuff that I don't know that I would have gotten otherwise. Yeah. but her background, you know, she came from upper class uh, Mexico City. The idea of her uh, marrying and moving off to Ohio with Aguero, you know, like lower class. I mean, just very taboo. And um, she had, I remember her telling me, she's like, I didn't become a, a citizen until after a lot of my family passed away because it would have broken their hearts oh, to know that so I she had became an American citizen. But after way later, yeah, later because of the yeah challenges that would have yeah. created in her yeah. family. So she came to Mexico or she came to um, the United States not knowing English. So she's self-taught. She had four kids, um, you know, in the in the fifties and sixties, and she's just kind of a badass. <laughs> uh, sounds like yeah, it. like short stature, but she was. Um, she could put my sister who at the age of 14 was six foot tall. She could put her in her place like with 
couple words that we didn't always understand what they meant, but you did. <laughs> so just, yeah, just one of these women that was um, uh, grounding, but uh, accepting, I think, and present. So you had a lot of like strong, powerful, almost this wild woman archetype from day one. Like they were around you. They were pivotal for you. Modeling. For modeling you. for you. Yeah. I'm just so curious about how, I mean, clearly that's helped create the <laughs> woman you are today. Yeah. It's also made things challenging in my understanding of men. And just like, you know, I didn't. I was, you didn't for, have men around you probably, huh? Not a ton. My dad, when, when we did spend a significant amount of time together, when we were together, every week we would call and talk for like two hours every Sunday. He was, he was the man, even though he wasn't, you know, physically there, he wanted to hear my poetry. He wanted to hear mm. about like, you know, what happened in, in art class. And he was my like cultural fellow. Mom was very survival like 10 days until uh, payday, we got to use our Texco card to get the groceries, but make sure you fill up the gas tank. But, you know, hope, can I borrow 20 bucks from Angie? And, you know, mm. so like it was very day to day with mom. Um, but dad was that kind of dream big and um, just this big black man from northern Texas who came to Iowa in the late 60s and played football for the Hawkeyes. Oh, wow. Very athletic. Um, and huge on like you get your education and nobody can take that from you mm. um was in the navy uh, but, but just, was was yeah. a soft kind of artistic like brought that out in you yeah. which is a really history beautiful too. balance mm-hmm. history too. he is all about you have to know where you come from you have to know your people you have to and in that he was talking about like black people yeah um so dad was this very reflective gentle um from far um, but also when I was with him, uh, spoiled me rotten, uh, you know, so, so mm. like <laughs> around really yeah. strong, powerful women and around very tender, kind, attentive man, singular man in my life. So, you know, you go out into the dating world and you're like, can you actually change the light bulb? I've never seen a man do that. <laughs> I don't know. I'll do it for you. Prove it. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I had, a, I had a lot to learn in, in relationships that I didn't get, from witnessing modeled. uh, I love this conversation because I have this theory that our relationships with our mom and dad in those first 10 years, like do then impact all Mm. these relationships down the road and also our inner masculine and feminine. Mm. So you had all this inner feminine like around you. And so it sometimes makes sense that your relationships, your understanding of feminine and the female is actually so much more developed than your, it, would that be true? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And, and extremely ignorant to certain forms of masculinity that I yeah. think other people. Cause like, your exposure was less. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was. And my sister and I, I remember my mom saying, I hope you're really athletic or you're really smart because that's how you're going to go to college. And you um, knew that early on. Early on. And luckily, my sister and I, we had good genes and um, we worked really hard, caught, caught some luck, but um, we were both. You were both athletic yeah. and smart. Yeah. So, Tell us about your yeah. school, like your yeah. school time down there and where <laughs> your, how your interests developed and how you became so successful even young. So having a mom who's a seventh grade life science teacher, you live at the school with her. Sure. Um, at, yeah, grade three, you know, we, we had our home. That's where we slept. But we spent most of the time weekends, evenings um, at school, at her school. So, um, you know, mom, too, also working her job but also needing supplemental income would do after school programming like the ecology club or um you know different the art club or these different clubs that we were young but she had to bring us along with her so you were Um, were in the club yeah we were in the club so by the time we got to certain ages i at least i don't know my sister i don't want to speak for her but i felt most comfortable in school um the smells, the sounds. Um, even when I go back into a school, I'm like, Ooh, I'm home. Oh, um, that's beautiful. Be- yeah, yeah. That's beautiful. so that along with, again, my dad being such a, an advocate, fierce advocate for education. Um, you know, again, he came from the South and athletics opened up doors for him, but he followed it to pursue education. Um, so in that uh, after school program, all these things. I remember there was this this one. I think it would have been in fifth grade. 
you could do like duet acting or you could do uh, like uh, uh, plays or you could uh, going into like the theater world. And I was like, mm, I want to do that. I used to do that in Iowa City. Mm-mm-mm. But for whatever <laughs> reason, it all filled up and I got stuck in impromptu speaking with this one other girl. And I'm like, I don't even know what that is. And it was, again, fifth grade. The teacher there was that wasn't her thing. But you pick three topics out of a hat. You get one minute to decide what topic you want. You get three minutes to decide what you're going to talk about. You have five minutes to speak. And from fifth grade into um, junior high and high school, that got me into public speaking. Mm. Um, Storytelling, um, just feeding off the energy of the audience, you know, kind of that performative piece. And Angie Um, is an amazing public speaker. (laughs) You are. Thank you. So now this is making more sense to you because it's very natural for you. It wasn't anything that I thought I'd get into, but it was um, where you had the chance to like think quickly, make connections quickly, and then quickly figure out how to articulate that in a way that at that time was competitive. Beautiful. So it was all those things that I absolutely mm-hmm. loved. Um, and then I feel like um, in high school, you kind of have to choose which route you're going. My sister and I chose athletics. Um, what all did you do in high school? Yeah, so a, a lot of basketball, um, mm. a lot of track and field with uh, you know relays, sprints, but my favorite was high jump. And then, jump. yes, I love high jump. I love women who high jump. I know. Um, I didn't know that about yes. connection there. Yes. Yeah. And then Chanel, Chanel yeah. our producers, like giving okay, us a fist pump say, here. Go out mm. for, for drinks and stuff. But yeah, the, <laughs> those spaces, that's actually probably where I engaged my coaches predominantly men um so that was again kind of my engagement with men where they're there to make you better help critique you know kind of that space um and then our basketball coach coach z coach samaripa she was a lot like my abuelita but like would stomp her heels and yell much louder um so loved (laughs) her didn't make enchiladas (laughs) didn't make enchiladas but gosh yeah so the women in athletics um I mean, there are other coaches who had different demeanors, but those were also my guiding lights. And we spent a lot of time with our coaches and our team. Mm -hmm. So when we weren't studying, we were on a bus or we were practicing there. You know, when you went home, you went home to sleep. Uh, Weekends, you had curfew, self-imposed. Um, so by the time we were allowed to date or whatever, um, I was too tired, (laughs) too busy and too tired. And there were so many important things that, um, I, I, my sister and I were reaching for, um, academically and, and athletically. Uh, so yeah, I don't think that fully answers your question, but, but it took you then to school on the East coast. Yeah. How did that, how did you end up there? Yeah. So my sister, again, she was 15 months older than me, which made it, um, one year, one grade ahead of me. And she went out to West Point military Academy on the East coast. And so of course I'm like, well, I want to go to the East coast too. Um, and, and we both went to a very large high school that had about, I don't know, 2,500, 3,000 students. Um, which I loved Harlingen High School. I got a lot out of it. And I knew I didn't want to go to a big university. Um, so the more I kind of researched things and, uh, again, my dad's circle of friends in Iowa City had lots of opinions about where I should go to college and all that. So it was nice to tap that resource. But I wanted liberal arts. I wanted super small. I wanted it to be just like out in the middle of nowhere mm. so that you could just like focus. And So even at that age, you really knew the environment you wanted your yes. next experience to be. Yes. In. And it's amazing. And so different than what you were yeah. coming from. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Again, that's in, in those moments, like you trust that energy and you go with it. And for me, I'd never had that impeded before. So it was very natural wow. yeah. to just be like, I'm going to go out to Williamstown and do these things. Um, so did you play sports at Williams College? I was being recruited for a few different colleges and universities in Texas and then out east for volleyball, but, you know, channeling my father, take the academic scholarship. Okay. So um, that's what I did at Williams. Um, just, you know, if you get injured or mm-hmm. if you're, you lose certain passion and love of the game, like you're not stuck. Right. Um, and... It was the first time I wasn't on a team before, like in my life. How'd that feel? Uh, it was it was fabulous because I had to do whatever I wanted, and it was terrifying because I had no clue 
what to do. I was so probably your space and time opened up so much mm, and yes. freedom. Yeah. yeah. And not being defined by my role on the team. Yeah. That piece, I think that was the terrifying part, but also very liberating. So what a beautiful place to have those moments in, you know, the Mer- Berkshire mountains mm. amongst, you know, just highly enthusiastic professors and opportunity, very big endowment. So if I wanted to create a, a study, a independent study and go out to Toronto or Vancouver, I could go do that. Um, and I did. And so I was very fortunate that Williams um, saw something in me um, and I squeezed him for every penny. And I also, <laughs> go I stay connected, as you, you should. know, and I, I give back how I can. Um, but I, I, I won't lie. Williams college, uh, just made me continue to believe that anything and everything's possible. So, which sounds like your dad and your yeah. mom, yeah. really both of them in their own way, but you were raised to believe that and you yep. manifested it. That's, that's my reality. Yeah. And I think in some of the work that I did after college, you know, where you're just like, I'm going to save the world and change everything. You know, mm-hmm. you like that green energy, um, that when I started seeing certain challenges or barriers that I didn't realize existed, not just for others, but for myself, I was pissed. And when, I was how, so mad. When, when did those barriers come? Because yeah. like you're, you, you know, you're a minority, mm-hmm. right? And you, it sounds like maybe those barriers, you somehow went through life with these parents who, and this grandmother who really just told you, you got this, anything, you know, they really guided you so beautifully when did the reality of <laughs> racism, sexism, capitalism, yeah. patriarchy, when, when did yeah. that finally hit? I mean, I think it hit throughout my life. Um, I think there are spaces and places, for example, my maiden name was um, hyphenated Blanchard Manning. Um, my given name was Manning. When my parents uh, divorced uh, and my mom had custody of us. Uh, She went down to the school to pick us up for, I think it was a doctor's appointment. She's taking care of her children, as parents do. And the school wouldn't release us to her because we didn't look enough like her. We didn't have the same last name. Um, And here she is trying to go back to school. She took off this time. She's taking us to the doctors. And that was here in Iowa City, you know, early 90s. Um, So, you know, that... I was you were aware at the, of that. I mean, I was, I don't know that I was aware, but I knew my name changed and I was the girl with a really long name who didn't fit on the Scantron and all the teachers had something to say mm. about that. Or, you know, um, when we moved down to Southern Texas, it wasn't unusual to have two last names, like in the Hispanic culture, you might have that, but ours was hyphenated. So it was kind of weird. Um, so the, I mean, the name was a big one. That was a big one. Um, the like hair and skin that was always, we knew we were different. Um, but again, I was lucky I had my sister. So I think the other thing I have to mention about my sister is she's at a very young age and even to this day, she's very tall. So a lot of, she's six foot. Yeah. A lot of, um, you know, a lot of attention for like athletically, but also people thinking she's older than she was and treating her differently in, in different forms for better or worse. I remember thinking that sucked for her, um, and she had this this physical presence where if she didn't like you, like you're gonna you know, know it. about it. Yeah. So I was able to witness how she dealt with some things that you know, that's her story. You could have her on here. Um <laughs> that she had to deal with that I got the chance to witness and learn from. Yeah. So I think being second born in this sense allowed me to to navigate a little bit more um I had, I had a shield. Mm, I had a shield. Yeah. She was my warrior princess. Is she um, still your warrior princess? Absolutely. And she's back. I, she's back. She's here. back. Yeah. She, I mean, she went military police, served in Afghanistan. Um, yeah. I went to West Point and then came back, was a police officer. And now she just finished her master's in social work and is at the VA. Like, Beautiful. you know, she's, she's that change maker in, in her own right of, you know, what, what, what could law enforcement be? What is prevention? How do we do care and safety and take care of, um, those that have gone into war or, you know, so she's, you know, she's similar. You can tell we're related, but those moments, I think where I was aware that the external world was defining me. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I remember some of these points was at Williams and I think it was my 
senior year, senior or junior year, and there was um, a student who made a was a dumb behavior and wrote the N word on somebody's door, and um, you know that's unacceptable. We don't do that. Blah, blah, blah. And what our school did, uh, I'm not for or against it at the time. Uh, you have talked to past Angie. They shut down classes. They shut down the day for wow. that day and the next day to have really hard conversations to create these spaces. And my reaction was not gratitude. It was not like, it was, are you kidding me? I am here to get an education and you're going to stop my education because of racist remark. Like we deal with this all the time. Like turn back on that class. I'm finally getting an A in it, you know? So I had these moments of like, well, Angie, you don't want to talk about racism. You of all people should know. You don't know what I know. Um, and I'm sorry that you don't already know this stuff and you want to shut down. It was for them. Yes. There was, there were these moments and not just at at school, but there are these moments of being expected to educate others based on what they thought I was. Um, and not understanding that I wasn't identifying how they wanted me to. So therefore I can't do those things. Um, and feeling imported, and like exotic. Um, so there was some very angry time in my early 20s where I was just pissed that yeah. that, that was the case. Um, Sounds that, like you, were you able to verbalize it? Um, or did you feel safe to say it or did you no, just feel it? No, I, I think I definitely did not feel safe. Um, and it kind of manifested in me just withdrawing from certain mm-hmm. spaces and places which isn't a bad thing, right? Keep yourself safe and moving into places you do feel safe. You find your people, you find healing. Um, And then, you know, I think there is a space in there. It's like, what are you going to do with that anger energy? And instead of having it kind of just bounce within me, asking the question of what could I do with it? Really embracing curiosity. So good because we've done episodes on anger and Kate and I've talked a lot about channeling anger and, and, and women. We've been conditioned not to show it, not to express it, but Push clearly it down. it's in all of us. And um, so how did you channel it? Because I think yeah. it's actually a beautiful emotion. Yeah. It, I, it's like fire under our ass. Yes. And <laughs> you yeah. do something or you can do something with it. So I'm mm-hmm. so curious to hear what yeah. you when I, I do with that anger too is one of those emotions that it's it's telling you like something's going on that you obviously don't agree with or don't like and um it's it's it, you're aware of it so it's not like you're angry it's I'm feeling anger yes right so in those moments again I, I was grateful to be in a space at Williams where I could um ask questions to people and places that I felt safe with and they would listen and be responsive. Um, I could explore and, and create just things to sort of engage that anger. And then with that fine pieces of myself that I'm like, Oh, I'm really into like the way people think, Mm. you know, and I want to take that other psychology class, but this, this other higher level one, you know, so it was kind of embracing that space, knowing that feeling will pass. Where can it propel me? Um, yeah. Such a good distinction that, and I, I just think everyone needs to hear this. I'm so glad you said it, that you're not angry. Right. <laughs> Anger is just moving through you, right? Yes. Because we can then get labeled as you're the angry woman, right? Yeah. Versus that I'm experiencing anger. It's moving through me. So mm-hmm. thank you for like <laughs> reminding all of us it is of that. Such a good point. It's, it's so powerful. And, and I think too, like, I don't know, I'll just say it out loud, but like, you know, when you're angry or you're sad or, or, or there'll be times I'm like, why am I feeling this way? Or what, you know, trying to figure it out. I don't do that when I'm happy and I'm hopeful. Those are emotions too. And I think that that's something, um, again, sometimes it takes practice. Sometimes there is a default setting, but it's like, who are you surrounded with? That's also doing that. Mm -hmm. And again, my family, my, my friends, my education, um, and following curiosity allowed me to be around other people who understood that and also practiced it. So that was, that was a gift too. You are such a learner. 
Mm, like yeah. I'm so picking curious, up on curious, this. Like, curious, curious, curious. Yeah, yeah and, and it's beautiful. I, I mean, I've kind of watched that from afar as we've worked together. Mm. But now I see how it's been this whole thread through your whole life. Mm. You're like picking up these nuggets and then processing them for yourself and then figuring out how to deploy. Yeah. Like I feel like you've always kind of done that. And that's that's a survival mechanism, mm. right? So had would I be this curious had I stayed in Iowa City and had two parents that were able to do whatever a you know nuclear right. whatever family uh, when you're somewhere that's it doesn't feel accepting or is unfamiliar I think you have to gather information to figure out what's your next step um, or at least that's how I felt so there, there's yeah. the anxiety and pressure that comes from I don't have enough information at a young age, uh, which is part of why I was drawn to knitting. So my Talk abuelita, about, yeah. Talk about that. Abuelita taught me how to knit, and I think, how old were you? I would have been nine, so it was right after we moved. And I think part of it was um, just recognizing some of my anxiety and loneliness. And um, here, I'll teach you a skill, and, and, and you watch too much television anyway, you know. So, <laughs> so my sister was taught to crochet, I was taught to knit, and... Abuelita was around. We were supposed to be doing something. Um, but I remember the blue, The I still have my, my knitting needles, metal blue size eight needles and this um, kind of muted blue uh, yarn. I still remember the way it smelled because it like smelled like her. Mm-hmm. Um, she'd work on it when I'd make mistakes. So it had her perfume in it. And when she'd leave, that was the other thing in my life. It's like people leave, right? They come back usually, but they leave. Mm. It was something that I could stay connected to her even when she wasn't oh, wow. there. So there's that, like, gives you something to do. You can channel. You're practicing channeling an emotion into yeah. a thing. And then, boom, you got the scarf, right? Or a gift. Yeah. Um, and it's mindful. It's very mindful. Very mindful. It's very yes. present yes. moment. Yes. And so you started, like, a knitting mindful yeah. uh, what, business. What is this? Yeah. Tell us. Yeah. So it would have been, um, you know, again, fast forward a whole bunch of uh, uh, young mother, you know, mother with a young little person and, um, my partner, my husband's work is, is as a firefighter, he's 24 on 24 off. Um, he has a nine day week, so it doesn't align with the typical world. Uh, so I found traditional work very challenging to do. I also wanted to have a certain presence in my, my son's life, um, early on that I didn't have. Uh, so I became predominantly stay-at-home uh, parent, uh, and, and it's like, I still need to get out there in the world. So uh, Crazy Girl Yarn Shop in Coralville, one of my friends had quit her job at the county and was like, I'm going to go work at a yarn shop. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's amazing. So I'd go sometimes swing in and hang out with her for a little bit, and um, she's like, you could, you know, you ever thought of teaching classes? I'm like, uh, um but there was that I want to get out of the house. I want to create. I'm feeling this anxiety about where's my life going. Um, and so the idea of being around more knitters and expanding the circle of knitting in the world, like so that there are more of us to be together, made me stop vibrating. Ooh. It gave me oh. calmness. So the anxiety started yeah. to slow down. Yeah. You were not only knitting, but you were in a circle. Yes. With of women. Yes. Yeah. Which and, is, well, I, don't wanna, I don't want to no, assume it's women. Were there predominantly, predominantly, predominantly women. women. Um, but that's what you were doing as a child. Yes. Yes, it brought me back. Your sister, your grandmother. It brought me back to, you're safe. Mm. You belong here. And you have a role. You have something to do. That's a gift of your grandmother, isn't yes. it? Yes, yes. And that's, again, that's something that I, I don't know her journey into knitting. Um, she's since passed, but um, I do, uh, I have a lot of her knitting needles. I have her, um, some of her patterns. I have things that she's made. And uh, there's there's this ancestry I can tap. Yeah. I'm, With I, physical yeah, Very tactile. Yes. I belong um, and I'm part of something. And um, I think that in in the community here in Iowa City and in the South District neighborhood and, you know, these places where folks, it's a transitory place or people have, are disconnected, you know, how do you get them to stop vibrating however their vibration is? Yeah. So that there's not necessarily a calmness, but a stillness to engage. And then 
you know, I mean, I feel like sometimes we try to engage people and they're just, that's disrespectful if they're not in a place to engage. So how do you create these spaces for them to choose to open up? And then when they do open up, right, how do you engage in a way that is loving, um, that is vulnerable? So uh, that it's like uh, you're coming into a space. Yeah, I'm going to show you how to knit, but you're actually going to teach me how to better teach somebody else because I've never taught anybody like you mm. how to knit. So I'm going to learn something mm. here. Uh, so Curiosity. Yeah, that curiosity yeah. and f- figuring out the puzzle pieces. Like she's a lefty, but she goes right, but she likes to hold her yarn this way and she's been taught that's wrong. I'm like, Mm-mm, I'm going to show her that's hers, you know, and um, started doing knitting classes, offered more and then kind of uh, home ec workshop. This was sort of, yeah, they had just uh, one of the partnering um, founders of home ec, um, had moved away. And so that was predominantly the knitter. And so I'd come in because Crazy Girl Yarn Shop had closed down. And I'm like, hey, Cody, Josephson, uh, are you? could I teach classes here? And she's like, oh, perfect. We don't have anybody teaching classes. So a little of that was luck. Um, and spent a lot of time at home at workshop teaching knitting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what, I love how all I reflect back when we first met and I knew there was this knitting piece of you. And. I now have such a better understanding of like where all of that mm-hmm. comes from and how, I mean, I, I know that's part of you, but I, I didn't realize that the connectivity of, of that skill set with how that plays out in you deploying your skills. Yeah. Every day we're knitting. The fabric of the community. Every day. Yeah. And then you get to learn how to um, wash the wool, how to uh, dye it and brush it and process it and then spin it and then knit it. So, you know, it's not just the knitting skill. It's actually how do you create, create what you're going arm. to then use. Um, and you have to be vulnerable to go there and learn how to. And you have to save up your money to buy a spinning wheel. And yeah. Yeah. Um, but um, I am, for the record, I am a process knitter. I'm not a, a project knitter. Beautiful. <laughs> uh, so I. Brings I, the vibrate, vibrating down, it right? It does. I, I love that phrase so much. There's it's, also no I've expectation. No expectation. Like, and I can't mess up because I'm knitting to knit. Um, I can correct errors if I want to, um, but if I if I decide to knit something and then take it all out, that also feels really good. It's like so, it's the it's the journey, the process, not the destination. Hundred. But what I'm curious about, if you're a process knitter, mm. does that mean you're a process lifer? Because mm. I think that's so good, right? Mm. It's like it's not about the end result yes. or there's some goal point. It's just like. I am here. I'm in the moment. I'm in the process. Yes. And that's such a bigger theme for life. It is. And that's, I think, again, I think for some people it kind of freaks them out or makes them uncomfortable or the, the, but at the same time, there's a lot less pressure when you're in the moment, uh, when you let go, right. When you let go, less pressure in the moment and, and you need more people in the moment. Right. Yeah. And you're most vulnerable in the moment, in the moment. So again, how do we have, how do we have more people, um, be brave to experience vulnerability in a way that's positively and reinforced after they're vulnerable? Because I've seen plenty of people who've been uh, vulnerable who have... And get shut down. Yup. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, I'm not acting like it hasn't happened to me. Um, or that I haven't done that to somebody. 100%. Yeah. Um, that's where resiliency comes in. Mm-hmm. And the more you do it, it's, it's a muscle. The more you do it, the more you're like comfortable in vulnerability. And you're really uncomfortable when people have it all figured out. <laughs> like, mm. mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> They're vibrating. That <laughs> They're podcast. vibrating. I'm feeling them. I feel that with this podcast. Yeah. You know, for us... Yeah, we've got we've it's been practicing vulnerability, just doing this for us, using our voice. Yeah. And and then being in the company of other amazing women that are willing to also be vulnerable because it's easier to be vulnerable to collectively. Yes. Mm -hmm. And and more people. I mean, you guys are reaching folks. You're normalizing it. I think that's the piece that's so powerful. Right. When it's around you, just like when I grew up with all women who are like, oh, you'll figure it out. That you're gonna figure and that it out. becomes normal. Like it's normal just to open and yeah. let's talk about the real deep things yeah. instead of talk about the surface stuff. You yeah. know, let's be real with each other. Yeah. And, and the people that want to talk about surface, you know, I try to stay with them because I know that that's building the space for them to mm. maybe one day right, be vulnerable and maybe that day won't come. 
Um, but it also is a space for me to, to, um, just witness some other folks journey. I love that you're a patient with that. Cause sometimes I feel like I lose my patience with that. Yeah. You know, so I really appreciate you do that. yoga. Yeah. I know I appreciate that you're like I'm willing to stay with the people who can only be at the surface. Mm. I, I I really honor that you, you are you're yeah. working patient that. person. Yeah, mm. well, you're I, a knitter. I was going to say <laughs> yeah. you practice you, it. You, you practice. get good at it. Okay, let's just catch everyone up too, because at okay. some point here you fell in love and I you did. came back to Iowa City. Yeah, and you had these you amazing had children. Mm-hmm. How did you meet Jason? Uh, so out of college, again, thinking you can change the world in like a day, um, started up a, a, yeah, you know, (laughs) tomorrow I will solve this problem. Um, was hired to, uh, start up a countywide mentoring program for kids who had parents in prison and connect them to Iowa city. I'm like, easy peasy. I love Iowa City. Kids from prison. I've, I've done some internships with kids with prison. Like this will be a, but you're still on the East coast. So on the East Coast, I did have some opportunities to engage with with that. But when I moved back to okay, Iowa City, back in Iowa City, yeah, yeah. yeah, back here in Iowa City, um, actually moved back to Iowa City uh, to reconnect with my father. Okay, so that was a very. I didn't have the job yet. He was like, "Come be here." Um, I was like, "I don't want to hand out." You know, he's like, "Come, come, you know, live with me for a year, and then you know, you can move on." So that was a very a very intentional move back. And the mentoring program was so much fun. I was hired to get people excited, kids excited about Iowa City. Um, And at that time, I thought maybe I'd go into social work or education. So a lot of my practicums and experiences with kids. And then I saw like this dark little pieces of Iowa City that were (laughs) not cool. Mm. (laughs) And, And it wasn't with... Again, my work was with children. It was with children. Mm. These spaces that, these expectations for these children and their families, and yet they can't say anything. Or else there's, there's repercussions. Or, or they don't know how to, to express. Or when they do, and they do a really good job, they're with somebody who has the power dynamic that they shut them down. It expels them from school. You know, mm. mom has to take this time off work. She loses her job. I mean, just, you just see that and you're like, that sucks. And that's happening here. And you had such a elevated view of this city and this town, right? Yes. Like it was on a pedestal for you. And you came home and you're like, oh my God, there's a shadow side. Oh, yeah. Yeah. City. It the was light a little in the dark. heartbreaking. Yeah. It was. Um, but reality busty. Like it was, yeah. it's reality. That's right. Everything is light and dark. That's right. And so those moments of, again, believing that Iowa City can change and evolve, yeah. um, witnessing it to this day. I love my Iowa City just as much as I did. I mean, it's still on my pedestal. Even though you know um, their shadow. That's yeah. That's the healing piece, and, right? And I engage the shadows. Like, right. we don't even have to shine a light on it. Go into it. Yeah. Go be in the darkness yeah. um, and see how you're part of that, that yeah. problem. You know? So that Iowa City has oh. always been a safe space to explore your own darkness, too. Because there's more light here. The people, the, the things that come through. Uh, you won't be there long. You know, well, and the curious part of you, I think, is attracted to matches the curious part of the college town, town yeah. that is like yeah. I'm not going anywhere. This is yeah. my forever home. But yeah, the the um, that world uh, brought me into recruiting mentors. So looking for uh, seeing that a lot of the boys on our wait list, even though we had activities for them to do and, and their families connected as resources, they weren't being matched with men and their families wanted them to have a male mentor. So I stumbled upon at a, a, at a block party on the corner of Cross Park Avenue and Broadway Street, which is near where my office was at the time. And their firefighters were there at the block party, you know, handing out stickers and everybody loves mm, firefighters. This is going. I and I see, you know, I see what I see is <laughs> I see what three. I see. I'm like, his name three. is Jason. Yeah, I, I see three. <laughs> well, I didn't see him. So this is, this is, he, he might tell a story differently, but I see three firefighters who have 24 hours on and 24 hours off. Those 24 hours off, they should be spending with my boys <laughs> in the, in the program. Like there's three right there. Like I found them and there's more of them. Wait, how many are there? So I got very excited about finding these men who already had kind of this positive context about them. People love firefighters. Right. Um, Heroes. Yeah. yeah. They're available. They're, they're here at a block party. Like they're here. So, um, 
Only one of them gave me his contact information, though. <laughs> the other, th- the other one just kind of blew me off, which is cool. Um, and that was Jason, and he helped me f- uh, start a boys group um, for kids who are thirteen to eighteen. Um, Did he really just want to date you, and that's why he for a year, <laughs> for a year? You he, did yeah, he was like, I took you long enough. <laughs> Um, and it wasn't Aww. until one of my coworkers, uh, Talia Meidlinger, yeah. she was getting married. They just passed the bill and, you know, you can, yep. and, uh, she was like, Angie, you know, uh, I want to invite you, but you, you plus one should be Jason. I'm like, Jason, no, that's my Thursday boys group leader. Like, no, I she just, actually told me that story. Yeah. And she's like, no, I should be. So it's her fault. We're married. <laughs> she pushed. Um, she saw it. She did. And when we went to you know, fast forward a little more, when we went to, um, get our marriage license, she was our witness. And their uh, card, their swiper card was down, and we didn't have cash, so she paid for <laughs> our marriage license, Aww. too. Anyway, yeah. That's a great story. So, yeah, she okay. saw that. And I think something about Jason that I was drawn to before we you know, became man and wife was uh, he saw the kids the same way I did. Mm-hmm. Which they're, is how? They're just children, um, and the expectation that's put on them is very uh, unrealistic, and they're a reflection of what's wrong with our society. Oh, that's so good. So that is what, I mean, That's if that's not sexy, I don't really know mm-hmm. what else No is. kidding. I mean, like, that's powerful. Yeah. That's powerful. Yeah. So, again, for me, there was a lot of respect and trust with him, which probably isn't a surprise why I never thought of him like that for, like, a year and some change. I'm like, no, we... Focused on the work. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we got work to do. Shared value. Uh-huh. And, yeah. So um, he also was coming from, you know, he's 22 years into a fire, firefighter here in Iowa City, and he sees people at their worst, right? Yeah. He sees some really hard things. So um, certain injustices he's not going to be quiet about. And he's also going to put time and effort into and yeah. um, tell him otherwise. Like, just go ahead and try. You know, <laughs> that's one of my people. <laughs> yeah. yeah got it. So let's get married. Yay. Aww. Okay. So there's a sticker on your water bottle. Yes. South of six. Mm-hmm. And I know this is um, your third baby because you have two yeah. human babies, right? <laughs> this is the third. Yes, I do. This is the third baby. Yes. So this, tell us about this South baby. of six. Baby was was conceived by not just by myself, but Marlene Mendoza, Tasha Lard, um, other other champions within our neighborhood. Uh, but it's a, it's a business district for our south side of town, and it was born out of grassroots neighborhood revitalization. The neighborhood wants and continues to want a, a thriving, a fun, a safe, uh, a place where you belong. And we didn't have a business district to help with that. So for uh, Two and a half years working with like Nancy Bird and Midwest One and uh, really educating folks and commercial property owners on that side of town of what would it mean to tax yourself. (laughs) Mm -hmm. This is not an easy sell. Yeah. So, yes, you are putting the first investment in. And what you get out of that is to leverage other uh, resources, whether it's financial or otherwise. But you are held accountable to make the first investment. And when you do that collectively, you get to decide what the improvements are, mm. not somebody outside of you. So it's very empowering, right? Um, so uh, kind of a, a rough time to be selling it at the beginning of a pandemic. Yeah. Uh, COVID relief. <laughs> We'd be on Zooms with yes. the property owners. And, and yeah. to help listeners know and to yeah. educate me, these yes. are a lot of these businesses are minority owned, yeah. woman owned. Some, some of them are. There's, I think, I think the, the property owners, the majority of them are. Property owners. Yeah. Oh, property owners. Property owners have been there for a long while. Or, right. Yeah. They've been Females. there for a while. Um, Predominantly white, predominantly male. Um, the property owners. Yeah. Right. And, and you're trying to ones. convince them to up Self the taxes tax. yeah. so that we can create a business district. And a lot of the businesses that want to go in yes. are minority owned and yeah. woman owned. Yes. That okay. Piece. Now it's getting very that clear piece. about why yeah. we need beautiful souls like you to <laughs> and advocate. We were, we were writing... We were writing the momentum of the work the neighborhood had already been doing well before my time, decades before, where different uh, neighborhood associations would combine forces to tackle public safety. And instead of getting more police officers, they got uh, crosswalks and more lighting. You know, so certain things that neighborhood advocacy was already doing. um, We moved into the neighborhood from North Liberty on purpose. 
um, just a block away from where Jason and I met, to create change from within. We wanted our children to go to Grant Wood or Twain. They ended up going to Alexander Elementary, which was a new school. Totally threw me off. I didn't know these teachers. Mm. Completely removed from like the actual residential. Um, went into that space very guard dog and concerned. Um, and I'm like, well, I'm going to affect change there. You know, I got to go be the PTO president. Change. Yeah, oh, this is your this is your theme. <laughs> yeah, this well, this is my theme. home now, right? Yeah. Like we bought property there. This is not yeah. school. I thought you know we're paying tax. Like, this school will be what it needs to be or I'll be damned. Um, <laughs> so, so in those spaces of creating some of that culture in the, in the, in the school, in the neighborhood, um, you know, the neighborhood, you see that you're like, mm, the neighborhood's not fully, it's disconnected from some efforts that could make us more efficient and effective. Mm-hmm. And you get in there and you start doing that work, you murals and neighborhood meetings and, and these things that feel good, when shit goes down and there's an MRAP on your streets, you still have people to respond who are from your neighborhood who know the people. That, hey, uh, I get that you're scared and I understand these canines and those huge guns. Like, I'm terrified too. But if you don't tell the police what you saw, they're not going to be able to find those people who have done these things. Um, while also being like, do we need to have a militarized vehicle over here? Maybe we do. I don't know. But like, can you come do some trauma and healing informed stuff? Mm. Because that scared the shit out of all of us. Yeah. Um, so being able to empower uh, folks so that they understand they create change, um, but also growing your base with the people most affected by it. I'm not looking outside my neighborhood for any help. We already have it here. Um and creating that energy and that belief and confidence that we are the change. Yeah. Um, but that means we have to do this every day. And once you do it every day and you gain this momentum, then more people yeah. want to, I, I don't want help. I want a bigger team. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't it, help You're volunteering is, your time. Yes, this is true. But at the same time, you know, anything that made things better in my neighborhood was reinvested right back into me and my family. So the business district, similarly, it's the same concept, yeah. right? So you've got these vacant stores. You've got, um, uh, you know, a negative narrative about the site. You've got these things like those are issues. I'm with you. I'm affected by them, too, living down the street. Um, I also don't have anywhere to buy coffee. I also don't have, you know, so like how do you businesses, how do you empower those closest to help solve those problems? So now we have certain things we can go frequent. We can uh, inform pedestrian walkways. We can want, you know, we can speak up and say things. Um, but who benefits first and foremost? We do. Mm. So now I'm not going to move out of this neighborhood. Now more people want to buy houses there. You know, that's good for business. But and we need the businesses to put those investments first. The property owners to say um, invest in this neighborhood. Be vulnerable. Yeah. We need you to be vulnerable because you're, you're going to make you're going to make money off this. Like if that's the bottom line for you, um, you're also going to enhance the quality of life and you're going to have happier people yeah. around you who, um, you know, oh gosh, when people are happy, so much more is even possible. Mm. Um, so there's and there's a pride you've created. Yeah. Well, and it's there. It just wasn't like you, she's you, infectious. So I, I can see why she can go in there and be like, people, we are doing this. Oh, I know. Your I, energy. Just, I, I just ugh. have to say to you that like the things that have come up today, knitting connections, empowerment, curiosity, vulnerability are threads through your whole life. And it's like this job for me as an observer brings all of that together. All your gifts. In such a beautiful way. Like it's your dharma. It's what you were meant to do. It feels good. It well, that's feels, another sign that it's your dharma because it good. feels good, right? Yeah. It's there's, like there's spaces too where um, I can see, like, okay, well, I understand that I'm, you know, I get these things, but boom, there's more stillness, opportunities for stillness, in less my life. vibration, less yeah. vibration, <laughs> more stillness, more stillness, and that's what I want, right? So if that's what I want, then I keep going this direction. I don't know where it's gonna go because you're in process. I'm in process. I'm knitting. I'm in process. I'm knitting right now. There's no end result. Yeah, I, no, we're always knitting, yeah. and that's There's I think no that's that's the pieces. I believe that if I keep being who I am, I'm going to get to where I'm supposed to be going, um, and I hope that more people believe that about their journey. Um, and gosh, there are a lot of hard, hard knocks and dark days, 
Um, and there's a lot of growth and, and beauty in those dark mm-hmm. moments. Um, and I think when we can share them, like with you all and with others, it just, again, it just, it just normalizes. Yeah. This is a journey, folks. Like, yeah. get your knitting needles out. Like, let's go. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, there's no inch scarf here, people. No. This is just life. Just knitting one little stitch after the yeah. other. Well, we always love to end with these questions, Angie. And, okay. And um, you are truly a wild woman. You, you uh-huh. were raised. You were raised. Listen to that laugh, too. That was a good wild woman laugh. And you own that, and it is, it is part of. Your beauty and, and her lineage. I love lineage. hearing about her wild woman lineage. So we always like to ask from women who run with the wolves. Um, there's a few precious doors into the world of the wild woman. So here are the choices. Okay. If you have a deep scar, that is a door. If you have an old, old story, that is a door. If you love the sky and the water so much, you can almost not bear it. That is a door. Or if you yearn for a deeper life, a full life, a sane life, that is a door. Yeah, I, I think all those doors are there, right? I think mine probably is the scar of not knowing if I belonged. Mm. So my door is definitely a deep scar that I will continue to heal from. Yeah, and I'm grateful to to have. Uh, and it sometimes sucks to carry. Yeah, but that's my door. Yeah, and but you, that sense of wanting to belong has sort of led you to believe so much in community and then your whole piece about vulnerability. Yeah. I mean, that's all that work of Brene Brown and Amen. vulnerability, girl, right? Yes. Wholeheartedness. Yes. It, that's yeah. what helps us give it, create a sense of belonging. So you are totally on the right track. Yeah. And, and you got to show off your scars. Yeah, yes, we all have do. them. Like, we all have them. And your stretch marks. Battle scars. <laughs> it's like everything. <laughs> Just right? let it all hang out, y'all. <laughs> I am so with you. So am I. Thank mm. you for today. Yeah, what a joyful, yeah. inspiring conversation. So Angie, share with listeners before we go, just some of the upcoming events in the South District and where they can connect with your work. Absolutely. So in the South of Six Iowa City Business District, we've got uh, lots of stuff coming up. We've got a sixth annual team up to clean up, which folks can come throughout the neighborhood, but also in the business district to clean up, um, plant flowers, uh, pick up trash. Uh, We also have some lunch and learn series, down to business lunch and learn series for uh, entrepreneurs, small businesses, aspiring business owners. Then we've got this launch party, which is that yeah i'm so excited okay so it's going to be may 13th which is a very busy weekend um but it's from two to five it will be in front of uh kind of where the post office is at in iowa city in the parking lot there in front of the new south district market and uh it's it's a celebration you know we're we're the newest business district in the state of iowa we want you to come sing and dance and we'll have a bouncy house and free face painting and food and then you'll get your bingo card okay Mm -hmm. and on the bingo card you're going to uh, go all around the business district and get your little stamp maybe play some carnival games but go into the stores yeah come back yeah come back put your put your name in a drawing but come celebrate with us so two to two to five um in the pepperwood plaza south of six may 13th and then catch all the diversity markets this summer. Yes. It'll be in yes. June and July. Ju- uh, July, we'll start July 8th, and it'll run through August 19th, Saturdays from 3 to 7. Um, and again, that will be in that parking lot area south of 6. Pop-up vendors, predominantly uh, underestimated population of entrepreneurs. So come shop local and empower people. Yeah. And they, these events are really something to see and to, to meet people and to see all these businesses that are happening that we may not know about and just it's you've created such a community with those organizations with this event Mm -hmm. that it's yeah you got to come pick a a Saturday and come yes no thank you thank you again for having me on the show thanks Angie today's episode is sponsored by Kate Moreland Coaching and Heartland Yoga as a coach I am an advocate for authenticity and well-being for individuals organizations and communities Through my coaching work, I like to help you connect to your authenticity. Whether you're an individual, a leader, or an organization, your creative power lies in your authenticity. Doing the work to understand your strengths and acknowledge the patterns and rocks that are in your way is the path to well-being. Whether it's your career or your relationship with yourself or others, transformative change begins within. You can reach me at katemorelandcoaching.com. 
Heartland Yoga has been in business for nearly 15 years. I founded this studio with the intention for it to be a safe place where people could come and heal. I also knew that I wanted a business that fostered community and connection. So if you are looking to deepen your yoga practice, heal from physical, emotional, mental wounds, or simply connect with people who are like-minded, Heartland Yoga is a place that we would love to welcome you into, whether it's online or in person. You can find out more information at www.heartlandyoga.com. And now the amazing singer-songwriter, Lissy Morris with Wild West. Thanks for joining us today. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. Come back and rewild with us again next week. Safety.